Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Megan Gilger, and welcome to the Fresh Exchange Podcast. Hi, friends. Welcome to the podcast today. And I am been thinking about planting. <laughs> I feel like it's all I've thought about for the past. I don't even know. Like I was thinking about this the other day that like I haven't like really like stopped to not think about planting. And my friend asked me the other day if I was going to start something inside and I was like, you know what? I need a break. I need like a legitimate break from starting things and I need to just enjoy. And this is kind of a lesson that doesn't totally apply to our topic today, but I just want to start this out this way because this last week has just been so intense. Like on Friday, I was exhausted. Like we are talking like Actually, it wasn't even Friday. It feels like it was Friday. It was actually Sunday. So like, a f- you know, the other day. And I I just was done in. Like between like, I realized also like we also had social experiences, which we haven't really done much socially in like a year and a half other than like my parents coming or hanging out with my brother or, you know, just different things like that. Mike's parents came for a little bit after they've been vaccinated. And now that we're vaccinated, we have friends that are vaccinated and it's like, oh, we can actually like legitimately safely hang out with people and not have to think twice about it. And so it's both like the most freeing thing, but also like that re-entry exhaustion is so real. But then on top of that, I have been just planting all the time. And it it went from 32 degrees at night to almost 80 at night (laughs) in one week. And all weekend, it was 90 degrees. One day it was like 92. I had just planted everything and the humidity was 30%, which is 
dramatically low for Northern Michigan, if you don't know Northern Michigan. And it was windy. Mike said it was like living in a hairdryer. And I think that was like exactly what it felt like. And during this process, I decided to plant everything. Like I spent probably five to six hours a day planting in order to get everything in. And then I just sat back and was like, oh my gosh. And all I could see was the problems. Like I could just see so many issues. And I kept thinking like, why, why isn't this done? Why isn't that done? It needs to be fuller running to back to the grocery or to the nursery, not the grocery store, the nursery. And just all of that. Like it was, I finally just went and got some good sleep last night. I was feeling really angsty, like just kind of off. And I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to dream about irrigating. I'm not even going to dream about planting. I am just going to shut it all off and I am going to bed. And I went to bed early. I had a nice shower. I relaxed. Like I just was like, I need a reset. And it was like, I think what was so hard about this planting season, it, it, well, let me say this. It was really nice to do that. I needed that. I needed that self-care. I needed that just connection to self, a little bit of grounding. And when I came out of it, I had a much better perspective on life, on all sorts of things, on my kids, on a lot. And our community got a wonderful recap of my mental state and how it progressed because of this self-care and what I was feeling in a really, really honest way. So all that to say, I think I realized that this planting season was so intense because of the weather, but then also I was, I was just like feeling a lot of pressure. And I think Instagram and these things can make us feel like, you know, in the same way that we can feel this way as moms or about our bodies, you know, I kind of think back to our conversation with Randy about this, but like we can feel those same pressures about our homes, about our gardens, about how we live. We can, social media can really mess with that in our heads. And so I've been trying to grapple with this and realize that like, this is just as possible in myself. So I just wanted to be honest about that. And like I said, our community just got like a deep dive in that. <laughs> and I just kind of like word vomited with them, which is great. I, I feel like it's a safe space to do that. And I, I'm just so excited to bring more people into that this next week. But in, in the next week, and I guess it's 11, 11 days, we open the community or 10 days, I guess, when this goes live. But I... I just wanted to share that because I think all of us can resonate with it. And how this connects to today's podcast is that the reason I got into companion planting was because I, one, wanted to be more intuitive with how I plant. I wanted to be more connected to the natural world. I wanted to find a way to more naturally grow things. I, it was more of a sense of play when I got into it and it's still a sense of play. And it's the one thing that even when I get hard on myself about the garden or like if something fails or like whatever it may be, I come back to the fact that this is play, like this is fun. And if it doesn't feel like fun, I got to do some work. And so, but 
Uh, what I love about companion planting is it allows us this sense of connecting to the natural world in this really fun way where we get to learn the plants and learn how they interact. It's like creating a community for your plants. And I think about it as like we create, we like put in this core plant, which in this case, we're talking about tomatoes. A tomato is a very core plant that, and I want to start when we introduced companion planting to talk about tomatoes specifically because I find that this is a great place to safely play because it doesn't get too complicated. Like you have the central plant and then you move out from there. But what we don't, like a lot of people don't think about when they're companion planting is this isn't just about creating pest deterrence and, you know, sure, like those are the key terms that we have to put into the blog post, but this is why we have a podcast. Like it's to talk about the deeper reason for why we do this. And to me, it's the communication that's happening with those plants. It's watching it happen in real time. And it's when I got into this, I started in tomatoes were the first place I played with this. I started realizing how deeply communicative plants are to one another and that they offer something so unique to one another in their differences. And I feel like that's a good caveat to, you know, Pride Month and the fact that we need diversity. We need to celebrate it. And companion planting has taught me how natural and beautiful the the makeup of the natural world is and to celebrate all our uniqueness, all the things that make us who we are, and that there is no one box to fit into. And in fact, it would be really boring and like monoculture crop planting if we did. And that doesn't sound like a fun place. But a garden in a place like a forest, you know, the celebration of different things in a forest is unbelievable, a meadow even. And if we can apply those same practices into our garden and then watch it unfold before our eyes, like we planted that and then we get to witness how it functions and how it works. It's mind blowing to me. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And so in that craziness that I had this last week, I was sitting with my tomatoes and I just was like coming back to this routine in some way, like a comforting, playful routine of putting and creating this conversation amongst the plants. I was putting that into place and then the plants take over, right? And it brought me a lot of calm. Like it was just like, oh wow, okay, this is my part in this story. And after that, they take over. All my job is, is to water them and to monitor them and then to harvest. So many things in that. I know I got to sit with that some more, but that's why I want to talk about this is that like, you know, we get into this, we're about to enter the season where like pests are going to be a thing. Every single year, my DMs fill up and I can't answer them all. I can't solve everyone's problems. And Google is a wonderful source. I am sorry. I don't know everything, but, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> But I will tell you that companion planting is one of the most intuitively beautiful things that we can possibly do in our gardens. And so I'm going to tell you how to do it and why and what it is. Like, if you don't even know what I'm talking about, like, I promise this is going to really excite you. So let's just kind of jump in because I don't want to, I, I don't want to take too much of your time today, but my hope is that you listen to this. And look at the blog post because the blog post actually has like a sample 
plan of how you could apply the same system. So if you already have a raised bed, that's like four by eight or four by 12, you can absolutely apply this plan directly to your bed. And my hope is that you can watch it unfold, like the beautifulness of this system in action in your garden. So if you already put your tomatoes in and you've already put some basil in, don't worry, you're not done. I'm about to expand your horizons and you're going to love it. Okay. So (laughs) first of all, companion planting is basically think about it as, like I said, like it's creating a community for your plants. It's creating a support system. Everybody has a job to play. Everybody has a role to play. A lot of, some people call this intensive planting. Some people call it polyculture. It all is the same thing. Basically what we're doing is we're taking these natural things that these plants already do and we're applying them and putting them together and allowing them to do their work in a group setting, more or less. It's absolutely incredible. It's very powerful. And when we do companion planting, it allows our plants to thrive. It can add to flavor. It can add to defense against pests. These plants can also trap pests, which is pretty exciting. And they also just can improve each other's soil. I mean, there's so many things that they can do. And I'm going to go through the specific ones for tomatoes today, but pretty much every plant has a companion plant. And in our community, they actually have like a cheat sheet that shows like best and worst pairings. And it's like a one sheet download. And they, it's probably one of our most like use downloads out of all of them, which makes me really happy that people are utilizing this sort of system. And just for instance, like the reason that you need to be doing this, like, cause some people are like, well, I kind of like my system of monoculture and, you know, I have my tomatoes in this box and I have my, my basil in this box and I have my flowers in this box, but you know, which is fine. I want to say that, like, if that, if that's how your brain works, great. But I also promise that you can apply these things in like a square foot model or something that makes sense in a system and it still be super productive and you can get the benefits of this. So the reasons why you want to do this, this is my like pitch for the companion planting, (laughs) so to speak, is that you want to, these will help lower the chances of disease. So polyculture can actually make sure that a variety of plants that coexist actually thrive and have less chance of disease, where in a monoculture, it can actually create the perfect environment to spread disease and invite further pests that also spread disease. So think about it like if a hornworm, we'll just take the hornworm since that's a big one with tomatoes. They see a whole box full of tomatoes and it's just tomatoes. They are going to be like, oh, this is an easy feast. Like we can take this down. Whereas there's a tomato here and then like a tomato a little further and a little further. It takes a lot more work if you're a tomato hornworm. Okay. First of all, secondly, like plant, like everything wants to have optimization, right? By nature, we want things to be simple. We want them to be easy so that we can accomplish the task at hand that we need to do. And for bugs, that is reproduction. So we want to find the spot with the most amount of host plants that make it as least challenging as possible. When we use polyculture, 
Instead, we're utilizing nature's sources of things to deter that to happen. And we're mixing things up a little bit. So it doesn't exactly work in like a organized mindset from that perspective, but I promise you're going to have less work in the garden. So that kind of gets to like, the next thing is that it creates a really like pollinator and friendly and beautiful garden because you have all these layers of plants. You can think about it. Like if you have a tomato plant and then the borage and then the basil, like it tears down in size and it makes this beautiful cascade of color. And it is like a painting when you're all done. And all you did was use companion planting. It's so fun. And the pollinators love it because then like, even though tomatoes, for instance, like are wind pollinated, the borage is one of the most, like, it is the busiest plant in our garden other than cosmos. And it always has bees on it all over the place. And so those, those bees are on the borage, which is right next to the tomato. And then they're just like, going. they don't even, they just flip to the next flower and the next flower is your tomato. And then you for sure are getting those tomatoes pollinated beautifully, which is so special and so amazing. And finally is that you can plant a lot more in a smaller area. And this kind of gets into that like spacing question I get a lot with companion planting. So with spacing, when you look at a seed packet, you're actually just seeing like what they recommend if you're using kind of like a monoculture setup. What they're basing that on is the fact that like you grow, <laughs> you grow things, um, you grow five tomato plants in a box. Like you're going to need to keep them spaced because tomatoes suck a huge amount of nutrients. One, secondly, they get very large. So it takes into account the nutrients and from that plant. And it takes into account the size in the plant. The size of the plant is the thing you need to most worry about when you're talking about companion planting so that you're not over stuffing a box, but even over stuffing is totally fine. What you don't need to worry about is that nutrient dense spacing that they're kind of talking about. It's not really indicated on the back of the seed packet, but you kind of get the picture. The best thing to do is to look at like, it says like width or height typically for the plant. Follow that guide. That's your best spacing guide. Just so you know. What I love about companion planting that isn't really like one of those things that can go in that why is that you, you just walk away and you see this beautiful system working all together. And I love watching nature do that. So if there's anything that should sell you on the fact that you should companion plant outside of like the pest deterrence and the intensive planting methods that you can plant things a lot closer together because they're not, they're all sucking different nutrients and all of that is that you are just going to enjoy your garden more. I can near bet that you will not only because you'll have less work, because less weeds, because there's less empty space in your garden and you don't have all these pests to worry about. Well, okay, Megan, you're sold, right? Like that's what you're thinking. And these are the plants that I swear by. You, If you go and Google this, there there is a wide range of plants that people say are companion plants for tomatoes. There are some that function better there are some that do a lot more work. I kind of rounded it up to the plants that I personally have experienced and worked with in the garden and have watched work. 
So I'm just going to run through them and give you their actual benefits to the tomato and the tomato to them. So borage is number one. Like if you, it's the weirdest word. And every time I say it, Mike goes borage. (laughs) He like makes fun of me about it. But borage is this really interesting, crazy plant that has these spiky leaves and that at their early stages are edible, I believe. But as they mature, they have these, it has this like beautiful texture on it that's spiky and like soft spikes. And then it has this little blue flower that comes off and they're very tender They will make you look like the fanciest person in the world to put them in a cocktail or ice cubes or something like that. But besides that, they do a few things for the tomato. One, they're like hornworm kryptonite. Like they do not like this plant. They will avoid it. And why I know this is because I've actually experienced it where I had one tomato plant last year get a hornworm. And that one tomato plant had all these other companion plants except borage. Borage wasn't even like within sight. So it was just a random tomato plant. I had an extra spot in a bed and I was like, I'm just going to pop it in here. See what happens. It was half decimated in a night from this one hornworm. And all I believe because it didn't have borage. Never saw them on any of my other plants. It's pretty crazy. So the other thing it does though, is it brings in pollinators. So it pollinates all those flowers. And then finally, it actually improves the flavor of your tomatoes. I know, pretty crazy. There's something in the science of the soil content that they do for one another. It's really cool. The next one is marigolds. I have tried many types and to me, I've never noticed a real difference in their value in terms of what they provide in this situation. So it's kind of like whatever you want. I love giant marigolds because they pack a huge punch in the sense they're one plant that gets so big and the flowers are huge. They're beautiful. So it's definitely like an awesome plant to have, but you can also go with like French or Durango varieties are really fun too. And they're just super important because they keep away pesky, like pesky critters, things like mice and squirrels and even birds don't really like them around. And they also, oddly, if you leave them in the ground or you allow them to just kind of take over, they will actually reduce the chances of root note or root knot nematodes. Sorry, I read that wrong. (laughs) That thrive and they love like those nematodes will actually like eat the roots of your tomato plants, but the marigolds actually deter them. So wonderful benefits, right? Next is nasturtium. Nasturtium are these like, they will actually climb with your tomatoes if you're like doing indeterminate tomatoes or tomatoes that you're trellising in some way that they can actually climb up the same trellis. And what they do is they will actually trap in things like white flies and aphids that can eat plants. And basically nasturtium are like the queen of the garden. They're our best friend. The problem is they just can take over. So you just have to watch them or give them a a place to go, (laughs) but they're very fun. They look very tropical. Uh, then next are onions or any sort of allium. Honestly, I've tried different types and I feel like I've not noticed a significant difference between like chives, garlic, or onion varieties. So what they can do is they keep away things like red spider mites that will actually bring in late blight 
And the garlic is usually the one that people most suggest. But like I said, like I have never had late blight, knock on wood, but it's because I always have onions, chives, garlic somewhere around, and I never have seen red spider mites around. Then basil. And, you know, we think about basil in the sense like it's really good with tomatoes in the summer. Well, basil is even better in the garden with the tomatoes. So a lot of people see in the garden that basil is one of those things that provides flavor and companion flavors in a bowl, but they also do that same thing in the garden too, which is pretty crazy. So the basil actually improve the flavor of the tomatoes, which just And it increases production too. It's like the tomato and the basil know that they're meant to be together or something. I don't know. (laughs) Then we have carrots and carrots. Sometimes people are like, wait, how do I get my carrots to grow when I have this giant tomato plant? Well, here's a trick. Carrots are wonderful. And what they do is the, the tomato loosens the soil, the carrots loosen the soil. They really play well together in the soil. And they actually like will open up the soil, aerate it. Like there's all these like root system things that go on with them, but they're also helpful in repelling certain pests and things like that. The one thing you want to do is I started planting my carrots like by seed, like two months before I ever put in any tomatoes. So you have to kind of know where your carrots and your tomatoes are going to be. So that's where planning comes into play, but it's really awesome when you can get that right. But even if you don't get big carrots, sometimes we can plant things just to be helpful friends and buddies. And it was odd last year, I didn't really have mice or rabbits anywhere in the garden, except they really liked the carrots that were under the tomatoes and they ate all the tops, but that was it. They didn't eat anything else. I have no idea. It was like the most, the biggest mystery. And we all kind of laughed about it. I don't know if, I have no idea. We just never know. We'll never know. The next thing you can also use are lettuces. So lettuces are a wonderful way to mulch around your tomatoes. If you kind of clear out and do some pruning on the bottom, you then can create enough space to do some more tender lettuces, even like arugula or, um, trying to think some maybe like different mixes like masculine mix or something like that. So what what it does is it actually keeps the soil cool and damp for the tomatoes, but the tomatoes act as the shade for those lettuces so they don't bolt and they protect it from the heat. It's a beautiful little conversation they're having. I really love it. The last one that I like is parsley. And parsley, so I have like all these parsleys that are like keep coming back every year, but they're definitely not good for eating anymore. They're gotten really bitter. But what I do is I dig them up and actually put them around my tomatoes so they can open a bed, but they still serve a purpose. You know, it's me like taking care of these things I love and I've gotten to know this parsley plant. You know, it's its last job in my garden. I'm going to give it to it. So they also will create flowers as well, which bring in pollinators and all these different butterflies love them. So even though they aren't really good for eating and consuming, they still serve that like drawing in the insects that aren't, you don't want around, like keeping out like fruit flies, things like that are particularly one of them. And then also it brings in the pollinators. So 
Unfortunately, there are also to, like tomatoes particularly are very particular about who they grow next to. As much as they love certain plants, they really don't like certain other plants. And these plants are pretty simple. The list is short. They're anything cabbage related. Do not grow it. I repeat, do not grow that next to your tomatoes because they just don't work together. Like it will actually hinder your tomato plant. So if your tomato is like failing and you have a cabbage next to it or broccoli or anything in the brassica family, it's probably that brassica. And I just suggest keeping those away in general. They just don't serve the tomato. Next, the other one that will also hinder the growth is fennel and dill. And this is really weird. And a lot of people are like, wait, what? Because carrots are related to fennel dill. doesn't matter. Plants are weird and like humans are. So fennel and dill, even if they're in the same family, will actually inhibit the growth of your tomato plant as well. Then you corn, but corn is more about the rotation process, which I'm testing this this year and I will let you know how it goes. But so corn has these little worms that eat the kernels and everything like that. We had them last year because I don't really, I grew corn as kind of an experiment and did not enjoy it. Never growing corn again, unless we have a huge field and decide to do it. But right now it's not high in my list, sadly. It all went to the chickens, which is still fine. But anyways, we had corn ear worms and those same worms will eat tomatoes. So I have one bed that I grew my corn in last year that had the ear, the corn ear worms or fruit worms or whatever people, there's a bunch of different names for this one worm. Then I'm planting tomatoes in there. So we're going to see firsthand how this actually works. I wanted to try it. I figure it's worth an experiment. I have a lot of tomatoes, so I feel like I can sacrifice a few. I will keep you updated. Lastly, since tomatoes are nightshades, a lot of people want to put other nightshades with them. This includes potatoes, eggplant, peppers, all those things, except you don't want to grow them together. This is a really good recipe for disaster in terms of blight. These things growing together will actually encourage early and late blight. So you could really be in a pickle if you're not careful and not actual pickles. You won't have any, in fact. So, but don't grow them next to each other. And so if you put your pepper plant next to your tomato, I would suggest moving them. I think if anything, understanding the worst companion plants is almost more important than the best, but though that's it really like for the most part. Now, like I said, if you're like, how in the world do I even lay this out? Like, especially for people, like I always think about <laughs> my brother doesn't listen to my podcast. I don't think, but he, <laughs> just cause he has no interest in growing things like this at this stage in his life, but he's an engineer. And so I always try to think about, cause I'm not super organized with how I think through my planting, but I always am trying to figure out a way to make this applicable for you in a way that isn't like my crazy mind standing there with 400 plants and like trying to put them in the ground. How can you actually apply this to something that in a visual way? And I like seeing things visually. And then I know that most people like seeing things in boxes and systems. So I created that just for you in the blog post. You can see an actual like tomato companion planting plan for a four by eight raised bed. You could then 
double this or, you know, you, you get the picture. And that's my hope is that seeing it on this scale, which is a pretty average scale for most um, at-home gardeners, you can then apply it to whatever size garden you have. And then also in the blog post, I do have some great resources that are also helpful, including books and other things you can dig into about where I've learned some of this, things that have been helpful and more. But I just really want to encourage you guys to think about companion planting because it is probably my favorite way, like I said, to get connected to the natural worlds in our gardens. And growing things in general is super perfect, but I really started seeing how this communication happens and it's so beautiful. It's so much fun and it just eases your work in the garden. I I wouldn't have believed it unless I experienced it. So I hope that's really helpful. And I am really excited to hear how you guys apply this in your garden and see how it works. And yeah. And you can even place it with some of this with pots, I guess, too. Like you can pot them all on your back porch and then move them closer to each other. Obviously the carrots and the lettuces may be a little bit tricky, but yes. I hope that's helpful. Next week, I am so excited to bring on Hannah and Brady from Seven Sundays. We are talking about how they have built a food, a packaged food brand with all the quality thought through and even bringing that local farm vibe into it. I cannot wait for you guys to hear how they have done this. Until then, I'll see you out there, friends. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 